Father, we thank you again that we can come together to share your word, to grow by it, to be challenged by it, to see the truth of your word and how it applies to us even here today. I thank you for an opportunity to share the truth of your word. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would allow your words to penetrate our hearts, that we would be challenged by it, that we would be different because of it, that we would represent you in all that we do, all that we do. I thank you again for these individuals here. I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that they would be challenged to be different because of who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Brett Kunkel, co-author of the book, A Practical Guide to Culture, said, as a surfing dad, I've dreamed of one day when my kids will paddle out to the line and catch waves on their own with me cheering them on. But the ocean can be a punishing place. Pounding waves can give them such a beating that they may never want to go back out to the ocean. So there are steps I must take now to prepare and to protect my kids for the waves I hope they one day will take and ride on their own. Like the ocean, our culture is all around us. Just as fish swim in the ocean, our culture is the water in which we swim. Also, like the ocean, culture has both seen and unseen elements. Though culture undercurrents are visible or invisible, they powerfully pressure us to conform to the collective assumptions about the world. Culture Cultural issues, however, are more like waves, seen, heard, and felt. Understanding both is critical, important, critically important, if we are to keep our heads above the water, unquote. As we have seen over the past few weeks, the Thessalonian church is doing well. Yet Paul is still concerned about the church and their well-being. Have they been overcome by the culture that they live in? Because of the works of Satan, Paul had to leave before he wanted to. For the Jews has pressured him and his team to leave the city. Can you imagine his concerns when thinking about this church? Have they remained faithful or have they returned to their idols? Have they been swept over by the waves of the culture? As a shepherd, and I think the, um, last week Pastor Rod used the word missionary, or as a missionary. So I'm using the word shepherd today. Paul loves the Thessalonian church and he is concerned about them. Because Paul was concerned about the church, he sent Timothy to check on them to see how they are doing. Paul had such a deep concern, he was willing to send a faithful friend 
and companion to visit and encourage them in their faith. Paul's concern was not a passive, but it was an active concern. He was willing to do something. Paul understood that watching fellow Christians go through affliction because of their faith might cause some to question and waver in their faith. Therefore, Paul sent Timothy for the purpose of establishing and exhorting them in their faith. We read in 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 3, just before our passage. She says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by the afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Paul wanted them to understand he was destined for affliction. Not only Paul and his team, but all believers will face afflictions. That is why he told them beforehand to expect persecution. In verse 4 of 3, he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you now know. Paul is reminding them of what he said before, that we will suffer affliction. Peter, likewise, talks about this as well. If you remember, um, it's been a few months ago when I talked about um, First Peter and how the church was being persecuted by Nero. Rome was burning, and what did Nero do? He blamed it on the Christians. He said it was because of the Christians that Rome is burning. So a great persecution began in Rome. So much that Nero would take Christians, dip them in pitch, and they became lanterns for his garden parties. It was not a good time. It was a hard time. But this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says, don't be surprised when they come, but understand that they are coming. But he then encouraged them to look beyond the hardships to what is yet to come, heaven, and being reunited with the Lord. I would imagine it is not our common practice to share with new followers of Jesus Christ 
that they need to be prepared for afflictions. But I believe that one day, this will be something that you and I need to prepare fellow believers. Because affliction is coming. We see that Paul wanted them to be prepared for what was coming. And they have now experienced it. They have seen it. And they understand it. You might be thinking now, where does this affliction come from? When it comes to those who follow Jesus Christ. See, Paul understood that there is an enemy who desires to thwart the mission of the gospel. That is why Paul says in verse 5 of 3, For this reason I would, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that someone, the tempter, had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. When I first read that, I was reminded of Matthew 13. And you remember the story, the parable, when Jesus talks about the sower of the seed. As the evil one came and snatched away the truth before they would believe. Could there have been some believers who heard of the gospel and rejoiced, but when tribulations and persecution arose, they abandoned what they had heard? Or were there those who cared more about their friends and their influence and their community that when they heard the gospel, it got choked out because they cared more about this world? These are just some of the concerns that ran through the minds of those men who received the report about Timothy. Here's my proposition for today, a pastor's care and encouragement for a faithful church he loves. See, Timothy has returned, and he's returned with a great report. Paul was filled with thanksgiving and faith of this church. He was rejoicing. That's why he says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? This section I'm calling Thanking God for Their Faithfulness. Paul and his teams are so thankful for the report that they heard from Timothy, they found it hard to find the right words to thank God for them. Can you imagine the relief these three men had as Timothy returned and shared what he had learned of their faithfulness? No longer are they in the dark of how the Thessalonians are doing because the good news was reported. They are filled with thanksgiving and joy. This was not a secondhand information, but a report from a trust a trusted friend who was there. He's seen it. He experienced it. He is overcome with joy, overflowing 
with joy. Again, the Apostle John had these same feelings when he thought about Gaius and the men that he was shepherding. He says in 3 John 3 and 4, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified of your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, Paul is filled with joy for their own sake, for the sake of what God has done in them. Paul, Salvanius, and Timothy are all excited about this church, what God has done. This is a new church, a young church, but they are faithful. And there is great joy. As you know, some of you may know, raising children is a great joy. And it comes with many challenges all the same. As parents, we desire to protect them from many dangers that can, run, can ruin their lives and overtake their lives. I know my parents, particularly my mom, worried about me. This, too, is my concern, or was my concern, for my youngest son. And I'm going to share this story with you, but I I did ask him for permission that I could share this story today, um, just in case he hears the story later, and um, so he would know. But I remember um, one evening, a few years ago, I got a call from my son, Brian. He says, I've been in a car accident. Will you please come? So I told my wife, I'm running out. I didn't tell her anything. I just said, I'm running out. I'll be back. And I headed to Lake Chabot Road where he told me to go. And I drove up and down Lake Chabot Road, and I couldn't find my son. So I called him on the phone and said, where are you? He says, I'm on old Lake Chabot Road. So I headed down old Lake Chabot Road, and there's flashing lights and all these utility trucks and ambulance and all these people. I parked my car because I had most of the, car, the road blocked off at that time. And so I'm, I'm looking for my son. I find my son. He seems to be okay. Nothing's broken. He's not bleeding. He's a little shook up. And, and I'm looking around. It's like, where's the car? Turns out the car is 30 to 50 feet down a cliff. My son, uh, he loves cars. He loves watching racing and whatnot. And that particular day, he was going to try to drift his car. He lost control of his car and headed off the embankment. And it rolled down the embankment. And it was stopped by a tree heading towards the lake. He remembers, he says, I'm too young to die, as he's watching the trees and the shrubs go by. As parents, we are very grateful to know my son is still alive. 
because we understood what could take place or could have taken place that evening. Lauren still recalls as we drive Old Lake Chabot Road as we're going to uh, San Leandro, we passed a particular road sign that AAA had to pay for. And <laughs> we are thankful. We rejoice that my son is okay. Here is Paul. He is thankful. He's rejoicing that this church is doing okay. Because of overwhelming thanksgiving that Paul and the men feel about this church, they are filled with joy and longing to see them face to face. Although Satan had plans, other plans for this church, they had remained faithful to the message of the gospel shared by Paul and his team. Imagine them thinking back to what had happened since they left this young church before they wanted to go. They have remained faithful. You can imagine how these men are feeling. Not only has this Thessalonian church remained faithful, but they are doing well. In fact, Paul says earlier in 1 Thessalonians, starting with verse 7 through 8, he says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. This is what Paul heard about the church before sending Timothy. See, this is Secondhand information. He's heard reports that they are doing well, but yet he has not heard prior to Timothy. He wanted firsthand information. That is why he sent Timothy. In verse 10 in our text, it says, As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking. Praying continually, filled with this strong affection for the Thessalonian church, Paul desires to be with them and to fellowship with them. So he prays that this will come to pass. This is not a passive prayer, but an earnest, continual prayer that the Lord would permit them to return. These brothers are saying, we want to see you face to face. We want fellowship with you once again. As a faithful shepherd, Paul understood that that because of the abruptness of his departure, being run out of town, there was still more he wanted to share and teach this church. Yes, they are doing well, but he wants them to do even better. This is his desire to supply what is lacking in them, lacking in their faith. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what Paul was thinking about what was lacking in this particular church, but could it be 
one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 22. Did they need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or could it be one of the areas that Peter talked about when he stressed in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10? He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness, godliness, and godliness, brother affection, and brotherly affection with love. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You see, we don't know what Paul saw that was lacking, but he knew something was lacking that he still wanted to fulfill. He wanted to supplement their faith. Have you ever stopped and pondered the same idea? What is it that is lacking in your faith? Can you say as a parent that you have reached, that your children have reached their full potential, that you have reached your full potential? You see, you and your children, as well as myself, may be doing okay. But do we see that there is still a need for growth? Here again, you sense the heart of these men. They are pleased to hear that the Thessalonian church is faithful. Faithful to the Lord. And they are holding firm to their truth, to the truth in which they have heard. But Paul is saying, Let's continue to strive for even more. Paul is saying, I pray earnestly that I will see you face to face, that you will continue to grow in your faith. Paul wants to encourage them to grow. In verse 11 of our text, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, and our Lord Christ direct our way to you. Paul is waiting patiently. He understands that he must wait on the Lord. Although Paul is earnestly praying to see this church, he understands he, he is not the one who is in control, but God is. 
These men also know that Satan played a major role in the event that caused them to leave before they were ready to leave and before this church was completely established. Even though these men strongly desire to be reconnected with this young church, they must wait on the Lord. We see this importance in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and you probably know this passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and do not lean on your own understanding. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. These men are saying we must wait for God's timing if we are to return to this church. It is not up to them to just say, let's go now. For many of us, waiting is hard. We often feel we must do something. As a parent, it, is, it can be challenging as we wait for our children to grow, to mature, to be mature individuals. We want to be there to help them make the right choices to instruct them so they do not mess up their futures. We do not want them hurt. As a parent, you might say, I can't help wanting to help them, so I step in. I love my children. Yes, I have taught them the word of God and see them growing but yet I can't help it. As parents, it is hard to wait on God as we release our children into his care. I too am concerned about the, my children. I have two grown boys with two wonderful, beautiful daughter-in-laws. Am I concerned about their spiritual walk as a father? Yes. Am I concerned about the health of their marriages? Yes. Am I concerned about how they will shepherd their children? Yes. You see, I too must learn to trust patiently on my Lord. I must trust them into the hands of my Lord. Paul and his team had to do the very same thing. So they prayed for the Thessalonian church. What does he say? Night and day, leaving them in the hands of his God. Trusting in is a decision that you and I must personally make on our own. It will not be forced upon you. There is always a bit battle between God and our desire for control. This desire plays out for control in all aspects of our living, not just in our parenting, but it also plays out in our marriages, in our health, in our finances, in our work, and even our relationship with Christ. 
Why? Because you and I like being in control. As a spiritual father of this church, Paul and Silvanius and Timothy were saying, we desire to be with you, but we must wait on the Lord. You can feel their hearts. You feel the pressure that is going on. They want to be there. They prayed and waited, hoping that the Lord might send them back to the Thessalonian church. As spiritual fathers, they still wanted to teach and encourage this church. In our text, in verse 12, he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus and with all the saints. In this section, I'm calling it increasing in love. He wants us to grow in love. Paul wants this church to increase in love so much that it overflows. It is not that they did not have love, but Paul says that it would be continually growing, not just for the church itself, but for all people. They are to love those who do not know Christ, just as Paul and his team came to Thessalonica and shared the good news of Jesus as the Messiah out of love for the lost, Paul wants them to likewise increase in their love for the lost. Just because Paul and his team were forced to leave town, it doesn't mean that this church did not experience hardships just because they left. They too probably were persecuted. People spoke ill of them because of their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But Paul understood that there was a vital representation of their new life that they, he wanted them to live out. He wanted them to be so different that it would be evident of who they are. And Jesus spoke of this, if you remember, in John 13, 34 through 35, before his death and resurrection. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this love, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. See, we can come together each Sunday and we can enjoy our fellowship, we can love one another, but yet not love those outside these doors. Paul wants them to increase 
in their love. He wants them to love the lost. Paul tells them that as his love increases for them, their love should also increase for the lost. Paul is not ashamed to let them know how he feels about them. I love you, but I want you also to love others. At this point, you might be wondering, why does this even matter? He received a good report from Timothy that the church is doing well. Yes, it is a young church. It's doing well. Why the concern? These men are not just concerned about the here and now, but what also is yet to come. They want them to love the body and the lost. That this love will be a consistent love, not a deceptive type of love. You see, we can come to church each week and everyone think that we are great followers of the Lord Jesus. Yet when we leave the parking lot, the real person surfaces. We can speak of God's love, but we do not show that love consistently. Or we have a select few that we share that love with. You see, does your family see that there are two sides of your faith? That you are not consistent in what you say? You see, Paul does not want this church to just talk a good game, but live it out in all aspects of their lives. That their public lives match their private lives. Paul wants them to be blameless before the Lord. That's why he wants them to live in light of eternity. You see, as a spiritual father of the Thessalonian church, Paul wants them to be blameless and that their conduct would match what they say. It is never a good thing when we say one thing and then we live a completely different thing. You see, Paul wants them to be blameless before God in their hearts as they will one day stand before him. These men want this church to live in light of heaven and eternity. It is easy today to look at the outward appearance of an individual and we think, oh, they're doing okay. They seem to have a decent job. Their marriage looks okay on the outside. It all appears that their children are even doing well. You see, these are all outward indicators that does not necessarily reflect the condition of one's heart. Paul wants the Thessalonians to live in light of eternity. He wants them to think about how they will react when things are not going well, when they are ridiculed for their faith. If I were to ask you, 
How many of you feel the weight of eternity resting on your shoulders as you live out each day? Are you living for eternity? I imagine many of us do not think about that too often. If we did, would it change how we carried ourselves at work, at home, and even when nobody is watching us, would we be different? It is easy to love those who are like you and I, who believe as you do and I do. You see, this could be even our challenge here at Gateway. We love getting together to talk about the Lord and what he has done in our lives, but we shun those on the outside. We say we love the lost, but do we? Paul says, I want you to love. I want you to love the body of believers, and I want you to love those outside who do not yet know our Lord and Savior. You might ask the question, why does this matter? Verse 13, it says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Paul wants them to be able to stand before their Lord blameless because they were willing to share the truth of the gospel of who can make a difference in their life and not be ashamed. You and I meet individuals every day. God gives you an opportunity, but do you speak at the moment that he gives you an opportunity? Or are you hesitant? Paul says to this church, I want you to be blameless that you love others, that you invite others to know your Lord and Savior, that you would have nothing to be ashamed of when you stand before him. Paul wants them to be blameless in holiness before God and their Lord. Here's my concluding thoughts for today. Is your faith an active faith towards the body? See, Paul was willing to send Timothy to check on this church. How active are you when it comes to caring for others? There's times that you don't see an individual for some time. Do you send them a note? Pick up the phone. Give them a call. Check on them. Paul was willing to do something. How about you? Do you have an active faith towards the body? What is your joy level when it comes to hearing of a faithful church 
Paul was excited. Timothy and Silas were excited to hear that this church is doing well. In fact, they had a hard time figuring out, how do I write that? How do I put that in words? Do you likewise rejoice when you hear of faithfulness in the body of Christ? Will they stick to the word of God and they're willing to share that word faithfully? Or do you have the idea that Gateway is the only right church? It's not. Now, granted, I grew up in a church that actually believed that, that their particular church was the only church. They forget that it wasn't their church in the first place. But yet we can hold to the idea that we're the only one that does it right. Can you rejoice in a faithful church? Do you pray consistently for those in the church? Paul and his team prayed earnestly for this body of believers. It says that they prayed for them night and day. What does your prayer life look like? Do you pray for others? Do you think about them? Did you hold them up before the throne of grace and say, God, I pray that you will do a work in their lives? I don't know the struggles, but you put them on my heart and I pray for them even now. That you would do something. You know what they need. Paul, Timothy, Sylvanius, they were saying, we pray for you earnestly, night and day. Are you living each day in the light of eternity? You and I are only here for a short time. We don't know if we will be here tomorrow. We don't know if we'll be finished out the day. Do you live in light of eternity? It is so important that we not be so fixed with here, now, the world in which we live in, that we realize that this is not our home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand home is yet to come. I'm just passing through. This team was always pointing them forward. Heaven is coming. Live in light of heaven. Yes, life is hard right now, but heaven is coming. Many of you may have great hardships right now. Pain. Difficulties with health, difficulties with relationships. But I want to let you know, heaven is coming. Focus on yet to come. Yes, be engaged in what's going on here and now, but don't let that overcome you. Don't let it consume you. But understand, heaven is yet to come.
May we be faithful to what we need to do here and now. But remember, heaven is yet to come. This team was saying, I want you to be blameless. Understanding that they will one day stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and give an account. Let's live for eternity. Father, I thank you again for who you are. I thank you again for your kindness towards us. I thank you for the gift of salvation. I am thankful, Father, that you continue to hold your body. You sustain us. You watch over us. You protect us when life is difficult. You're the one that we can find our hope in. I pray today that we will see the truth of who you are, that we will find our hope in you and nothing else, that we would live to glorify you, that we would be faithful in the situations in which we are in. Yes, sometimes they are difficult. Yes, sometimes they are hard. Yes, sometimes we feel the weight of them. But you are the one who carry us. You are the one who sustains us. May we live to glorify you and you only. So I thank you, Father, for the truth of who you are, the sustainer of all things, even when life is hard. May we glorify you today in all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.